I'm your host, Doug Berg, and welcome to Berg's Brain, a storytelling comedy show that will hopefully make you laugh, make you think, and make you want more. On this episode, I'll cover topics from the naming of hurricanes, to gambling on pie, to Dave Chappelle, to outlawing bagels, to the South Carolina Gamecocks, and many, many more. So jump aboard the train, get a little insane, getting inside Berg's brain. So I've never done this before on an episode of Berg's Brain, but I wanted to give you guys a heads up. See, on this episode, one of the tangents I go off on is about stand-up comedian Dave Chappelle and his most recent Netflix special called The Closer. And Dave spends a lot of his performance talking about the LGBTQ community and cancel culture. Now, while watching his special isn't a requirement to get the nuance, humor, and references later in this Berg's Brain episode, watching The Closer should provide you with an interesting perspective on cancel culture in 2022. So if you've seen the special, then keep right on listening. If you haven't seen Dave's special, feel free to pause Berg's Brain, jump on Netflix, and check out Chappelle's set. Or, if what you hear me talk about piques your interest, go back and check out The Closer afterwards. Or... Do as you see fit, because the last thing I want to do is tell anyone what to do or how to live their life. Now, to be honest and transparent, I wasn't offended by Dave's special and his earlier ones in which he pokes fun at various groups. Doesn't mean some of you weren't bothered or upset at his comments. That's clearly your space, your prerogative, and I'm not here to change your opinion. I'm here to tell stories, bring a little laughter into this very unfunny and scary time, and get you inside Berg's brain. So as you listen to this episode of Berg's Brain, be crystal clear. I'm in no way attempting to make fun of, marginalize, or attack people. I'm trying to call attention to the plight, the challenges, the differences many groups encounter. And as always, I'm trying to use humor to make the point. So thanks in advance to all of you Berg's Brain listeners around the world, and I hope you enjoy this show. This episode of Berg's Brain is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Slapstick, and their newest novelty product, Chutzpahs, a man's best friend toy and novelty product line, especially if your man happens to be a Manhattan jeweler, a deli owner, or a recently bar mitzvah boy chick. And with so many chutzpahs to choose from, you'll be confelling and plotting like your mom when she found out you got into med school. Here's just a few of the many varieties and breeds of chutzpahs. There's the Altercocker Spaniel, the Schwitzu, the Matza Apsa, the Labra Schnorrer, the Bernice Mountain Dog, the German Schleppard, the Charvet, and of course, the Moberman, which, by the way, is a hell of a lot crankier and meaner than the Doberman. Each chutzpahs comes complete with its own tefillin leash that you wrap around the pup's forehead and paws while walking, a free bag of kosher dog food, kibbits and bits, a training manual, fetch and fetch, a video to keep your dog calm when you head to show for services entitled Fiddler on the Wolf, an engraved dog whistle that doubles as a chauffeur, and if you purchase a male chutzpahs, they're not only neutered, they're circumcised. And every chutzpahs is hand-sewn in Haifa, filled with 100% organic kashka, and each has a beautifully detailed hand-stitched yarmulke, or as we call them, key pots. And remember, chutzpahs sit, stay, and won't pish on your Aunt City's living room rug, and they'll stay loyal like your no-good son who married a shiksa. So enough already. Get off your tochas and order chutzpahs. Today! Play us away, Peapod.
I was growing up, I was really into weather. I didn't consider myself a weather geek, but for one year, I kept a calendar, and every day I'd list a high and low temperature, if it was sunny, cloudy, rainy, or snowy, and I got pretty damn good at predicting the weather. You know, the more I listened to myself wax poetic about my passion for weather, I may have very well been a weather geek. And as far as weathermen and weather women, and I do believe it's extremely important to call people what they prefer to be called, these weather freaks and geeks, well, they prefer to be called meteorologists. So that's what I'll call them, although the term meteorologist is a long and winding six-syllable road that nearly kept Tom Brokaw from getting the nightly news gig as Tom nearly choked every time he had to say the word meteorologist. And let's face it, you get the option of being called a meteorologist, which has an intelligent scientific sound to it, or being called a weatherman, which falls more in line with other less-than-stellar professions like the milkman or the pool guy, you're going to go with meteorologist. And back to my foray into meteorological studies as a young lad in Ohio, a Midwest area with some volatility and quick weather swings. With my little simple weather charting, I was able to predict the weather with far more accuracy than the local news guy, Weatherman Wally, who was accurate like 50% of the time. I mean, can you imagine if you could be right 50% of the time at your job and still keep your job? And in fact, when you tell people it's going to be sunny tomorrow, and it is, they thank you, like you had something to do with making it sunny. You had nothing to do with it. So please stop the smug credit taking for your lucky-ass guess. And there's another group of people that boast about, even monetize that kind of 50-50 accuracy percentage. Las Vegas sports books and gambling prognosticators who market themselves as betting gurus when they win at a fantastic 55% clip. 55%? That's 5 above 50. You claim to have access to all this inside information a massive team of analytics gurus, and you rave and publicize that you win as much as some schmuck who could basically do that based upon a goddamn coin flip? A 55% success rate? Well, shit, Johnny Vegas, with that kind of ROI, here's the routing numbers and direct access to my fucking checking account, you piece of shit con artist. Well, as I think you can hear in the tone of my voice, the people at Berg's Brain, and those people are me, do indeed have a little gambling problem. And see, that's the unfortunate thing about gambling, is most people, including my lovely, yet ball-busting wife, refer to gambling as a problem. Now, okay, I acknowledge gambling can be a problem for some, but gambling's good for me because I'm a problem solver. And as a problem solver, you just shift your mindset and reposition gambling so it's not a problem, but rather the answer to your problems. So as my wonderful and loyal Berg's Brain listeners, who I know don't want to be part of the problem, but part of the solution, we can easily solve my little problem if I could just borrow $75,000 from you by next Wednesday. I take Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, and cash, and I'll bet you dollars to donuts I can turn it into millions. See, because I got a sure thing, an all-in-no-brainer, over-under, and I'm all over the over, for the total number of digits in pi. You know that mathematical constant that describes the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter? Or for those of you living in the Deep South or America's breadbasket, a wonderfully comforting dessert offering. See, I just checked, and the new money line for the digits in pi was recently established when the Swiss University, Fachhochschule Grabunden, broke the world record for the most calculated digits. And these pocket protector wearing math whizzes don't simply break the record for the most calculated digits of pi, they smashed it moving beyond the existing record of 50 trillion digits to a whopping 62.8 trillion digits. And here's the amazing thing. 
They completed their record run nearly four times faster than the previous one. Holy fucking shit. What mathematicians? What geniuses? What people you'd never do happy hour or piles of blow with? Anyway, back to my youthful weather geek days. One of the most interesting weather phenomena I studied were hurricanes. Besides the power and unpredictability of these storms, the thing that intrigued me the most was the naming of hurricanes and tropical storms. I mean, have you ever wondered who and how they come up with the names of the storms? See, tropical storms are so important in meteorological circles that these weather events get oversight by the Hurricane Committee, which is part of the larger and more powerful World Meteorological Organization, often referred to as the WMO. Now, these weather geeks at the WMO refer to their organization as WAMO, you know, because of the powerful wham of these storms as they crash, blast, and wall up the Caribbean, Mexico, and larger parts of the southern U.S. And these weather groups report all the way up to the goddamn United Nations. Now, in terms of naming hurricanes, these meteorological misfits have the whole alphabetical protocol, with the first storm of the year starting with the letter A, then all the way through the rest of the alphabet, except for the letters Q, U, X, Y, and Z. And I'll shed a little light on the exclusion of these five letters a little bit later in the show. Now, historically, 21 letters to cover all the hurricanes in a year was never an issue, because when naming started back in 1947, there were never more than like 10 storms of hurricane magnitude a year. But now, some 80 years later, with significant climate change, which an incredibly large, ignorant, and uneducated part of the population believes to be a hoax, Coincidentally, often the same pie-loving morons in the deep South in America's breadbasket. You know, hoaxes like how coronavirus vaccines are government tracking devices, Obama's fake birth certificate, Planned Parenthood selling fetal body parts, orchestrated shootings to fuel the need for gun control, the stolen presidential election of 2020, the Holocaust, and that the term pi refers to the mathematical constant describing the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter as opposed to something Aunt Sarah leaves cooling on the ledge of her kitchen outside in a hot summer day. Well, sorry to burst your methane bubble you numbskulls are living in, but in terms of climate change, what once never happened now happens every damn year as the naming of hurricanes gets to the letter T in a goddamn month and a half. Now, the Hurricane Committee, along with Whammo, creates six rotational alphabetic lists of 21 hurricane names, again except for the letters Q, U, X, Y, and Z, three of them being female names and three of them male names, because the list alternates male, female, male, female, and so on. So six rotational alphabetic lists of 21 names with one list used each year, and this results in each name being reused every six years. Wow, who knew the naming of hurricanes was going to be a fucking word problem, which is exactly the type of problem I have a fucking problem with. And this is coming from the top-notch problem solver himself. I mean, is this one of those Beatle White Albums played backwards I buried Paul riddles? And the reason these hurricane highbrows give for not using the letters Q, U, X, Y, and Z is the lack of names that start with those letters. See, to utilize letters Q, U, X, Y, and Z, they'd have to be able to come up with at least six names starting with those letters, and Whammo basically punted, claiming that was too daunting of a task. Now, on its face, you might take that as the gospel. On the other hand, maybe it's a deeper, darker, discriminatory issue. My guess is that Whammo and the Hurricane Committee are a predominantly Caucasian group, as let's face it, not a ton of black weathermen talking barometric pressure and pollen counts on the news. Ergo, there probably aren't a lot of black people on these naming committees, 
For if there were, I doubt we'd see Q, U, X, Y, and Z discriminated against. In essence, blackballed. As black people seem to have no trouble coming up with thousands of unique, cool, hip, traditional, African-rooted, one-of-a-kind names for every letter of the 26-letter alphabet. And it's amazing to me that while hurricanes are colorblind, they tend to hit regions with a lot of people of color. The Caribbean, Mexico, the southern U.S., And yet if you look at the names of the hurricanes from the beginning of naming back in the late 40s to the modern day, well, the names are pretty damn white. Now, not that it was right, because it wasn't. Back in the 40s and 50s, let's face it, blacks weren't even close in terms of equality. So you can kind of see how the early names were traditional, old-fashioned white names coming from very traditional white men on the committee. Names like Dolly, Barbara, Alice, Carol, Edna, Gilbert, Fred, Charlie, William, and Joseph. Now, I was hoping that this might just be a reflection of the times, and that naming had changed recently, reflecting a more diverse, less Anglo group of names to mirror the changing demographics in America. So I looked up the 2020, 2021, and proposed 2022 names for hurricanes. And here's the list of 21 per year for a total of 63. In 2020, we had Arthur, Bertha, Cristobal, Dolly, Edward, Faye, Gonzalo, Hannah, Isias, Josephine, Kyle, Laura, Marco, Nana, Omar, Paula, Renee, Sally, Teddy, Vicky, and Wilfred. In 2021, we had Annie, Bill, Claudette, Danny, Elsa, Fred, Grace, Henry, Ida, Julian, Kate, Larry, Mindy, Nicholas, Odette, Peter, Rose, Sam, Teresa, Victor, Wanda. And for this year, the list goes Alex, Bonnie, Colin, Danielle, Earl, Fiona, Gaston, Hermione, Adalia, Jose, Carl, Lisa, Martin, Nicole, Owen, Philippe, Rena, Sherry, Tammy, Virginie, and Walter. So to tally up all the non-Anglo, non-Euro, Black, or Hispanic names based on the 63 total, there are like four or five Hispanic-sounding names and literally zero traditional or popular African-American names. Now, I'm not saying people of color don't have some of the names that are on this list because there's quite a few Black Larrys, Earls, and Wandas. But if you look up the top 100 most popular, most common African-American names among Americans, for boys you've got Javon, Tyrell, Jamar, Tyree, Jaylon, Deshaun, and Deontay. For girls you've got Latoya, Tamika, Latanya, Jaquela, Shaniqua, Lashonda, and Lawanda. And that's Lawanda, not just Wanda. So again, with so many people of color often poor and marginalized, bearing the brunt of so many hurricanes, and with some 70 years of history and experience, you'd think the Whammo boys would expand the names to be more inclusive. Isn't it about time we get Hurricane Shaniqua on the naming list and in the pipeline? Look, I'm not wishing in any way, shape, or form that any hurricanes hit our country or any country. But we all know hurricanes aren't stopping and more are coming. So let's expand the naming list as to why should we have Hurricane Shaniqua, Hurricane Jamal, Hurricane Lashonda. And who knows? Maybe if Hurricane Shaniqua doesn't have devastation, the committee at Wemma will do what they've done for all the Mitches, Sandys, Marylands, Frans, and Stans, and the rest of the white-named destructive killer tropical storms that vote unanimously to retire Hurricane Shaniqua. And now that's a retirement speech I want to be front and center for. And while we've seen a smidgen of Hispanic names on the list, why haven't we seen any Native American hurricane names? These folks were getting hit with hurricanes way before Columbus and his crew quote-unquote discovered America. So how come they're not on the list? How come they get no representation? Wouldn't it be amazing, educational, inclusive, and just the right thing to do to mix in with the Bobs, Barbs, and Joeys? 
a sitting bull, a red cloud, Sacagawea, Geronimo, Pocahontas, and Cochise? With these huge-ass windstorms native to the Americas, maybe we ought to name a few of the storms after some Native Americans. And this naming thing may not only be racist, but clearly it was sexist. See, today the list of hurricane names consists of both men and women names. But this wasn't always the case. The committee decided in the early 1950s that only female names would be used for tropical storms. So from 1953 to 1979, tropical systems were only named after women. Meteorologists at the time, our good old Whammo boys, were all men. They started informally naming storms only after their wives and girlfriends. Which is kind of amazing that any of these white, short-sleeved, button-down, shirt-pocket-protector, black-rim-glasses-wearing weather geeks actually had wives and girlfriends. Oh, and these being the 1950s Madison Avenue Mad Men times, you can bet a few of these tropical bags of wind were named after a mistress or a stripper. And this practice continued until the women's movement successfully got men's names added to the list in 1979. So the women's movement a movement with an incredible past that included suffragettes at the turn of the century fighting for the right to vote, feminists, especially those in the 60s, crusading to gain equal rights, pro-choice women continuing the fight to this very day for the right to make their own decisions about their own bodies. So lumped into all these battles for equality and freedom, we had meteorological madams advocating for the end of the discriminatory practice of naming hurricanes only after women. Think about that and how deep, foreign pervasive discrimination's ugly reach goes. But like all the fights women have waged throughout history, this wasn't easy. As damn if the boys at Wemo didn't put up a fight for this common-sense request as former Hurricane Committee chair, Dwight Wright, argued, Oh, the naming of hurricanes wasn't based on the names of wives and girlfriends or the stray mistress, mind you. No, he proclaimed. Female names were chosen because these storms are called hurricanes, not hemicanes. So we at Wemo were honoring women, not discriminating against them. Yeah, right, Dwight. And I suppose this is the same logic, Dwight, behind the fact that sexual harassment predominantly happens to women because it's called harassment, not him-assment, you meteorological misogynistic moron. So, with all this controversy and potential racism and sexism around the naming of hurricanes, let's circle back to the trendy modern term cancel culture and the de facto canceling of hurricane naming letters, Q, U, X, Y, and Z, and take it a step or two further. Don't know if any of you have seen comedian Dave Chappelle and his brilliant stand-up, and especially his last Netflix special called The Closer, where he confronted in his typical, honest, straightforward, emotional, and humorous way the issue of cancel culture and how it's impacted him and impacts society. Dave shares his feelings about the phrase punching down, referring to jokes comedians make at the expense of marginalized people, here in his special, the LGBTQ community. I'm surprised the Qs, Us, Xs, Ys, and Zs left out of the exclusive 21-letter hurricane naming group haven't accused Whammo of punching down on them. And these two groups of five punched down upon letters have something in common. You see, both groups share the letter Q. Now, in terms of the LGBTQ community, the Qs weren't an original LGBT Fab Four member. They were kind of like the fifth beetle. And while not a founding member, the Qs have been around for quite a while, and they rightfully have some deep, pent-up anger for not getting the day one invite to the L's, the G's, the B's, and the T's. The Qs, they toiled in anonymity for years while the LGBT community got all the pub and glory. Now granted, some LGBT people still consider the letter Q for queer a derogatory slur, and many gay people have experienced it as one. 
in fact, glad, no, not the garbage bag people, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, see, this important organization notes that not everyone has embraced the Q, but it believes that the LGBTQ is more accurate and inclusive description of the overall gay population. See, interestingly, GLAD points out that while the Q often, and for the most part, means queer, the Q can also stand for the word questioning. Hmm, good to know, because based upon my very inquisitive nature, I must have a good chunk of Q in me. Now, there's another group, albeit a deranged right-wing conspiracy group, who you might not think would embrace the Qs, but this group prominently features the letter Q. This group goes by the name QAnon. QAnon, you know, they put forth all these baseless, unhinged, evidence-lacking, deep-state conspiracy theories, which anyone with a brain, you know, like people who think pie has something to do with the size of a circle, and not what you eat during a carnival contest. See, anyone with a brain knows QAnon rants are total bullshit. But these QAnon psychos, while dumb as shit, are craftier than you think. See, they put out all these nonsensical, fucked-up conspiracies for a reason. And it's not to tear down or create doubt in our longtime democratic foundations. It's to create a diversion. You see, because QAnon, like the organization Al-Anon, which stands for Alcoholics Anonymous, QAnon actually stands for Queers Anonymous. It's just that these right-wing conspiracy cult of macho redneck assholes, well, they haven't quite come out of the closet yet. So they deal with this difficult personal challenge by covering up their closeted capital Q queer feelings through outlandish public gun-toting, pickup driving, truck rallying, attending, to divert attention so they can sneak around to gay bars for some closed-door back-alley capital Q cocksucking. Look, Dave, the writing's on the wall. And for members of QAnon, a.k.a. Queers Anonymous, that writing on the wall is on the walls of gay bar bathrooms all across the country, like the Stud or the Back End or the Q Bar where A-list Republican congressmen like Rand Paul, Jim Jordan, Kevin McCarthy, Devin Nunes, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, David Perdue, Tom Cotton, Matt Gates, and the whole rest of the Trumpster dumpsters have written their cell phone numbers in permanent ink with big fucking ass-stretching Sharpies. And deep down, we all know Trump's MAGA Make America Great Again slogan is merely a cover, as what it really stands for is Make America Gay Again. And these MAGAs, well, they're crafty SOBs, as they made everyone think they instigated an insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th to overturn the election. When truth of the matter is, they instigated an insurrection and all got erections while closely clustered rubbing up against thousands of red-blooded QAnon queer cues, not the questioning cues. And while everyone of the LGBT community has had to deal with a lot of shit, the cues have had to endure another level of oppression. See, this rather unique alphabet letter has been forced against its will to forever partner with the letter U. As in the grammar mandate, if there's a Q, it's immediately followed by a U. No choice, no freedom, no appreciation for the Q's individuality. So with this added layer of frustration and anger, you know it's just a matter of time till the irate, proud, trailblazing Q's get to the naive, punch-down-upon, left-out, hurricane-naming letters, you know, the U's, X's, Y's, and Z's, and rile them the fuck up. And then look out, Dave, because LGBTQ just expanded to LGBTQUXYZ. And those left out, punched down upon, pissed off, non-hurricane naming four letters are going to be coming after you, GOAT. Oh, and for those of you unaware of the term GOAT, I'm not anti-GOAT, and I'm not calling Dave Chappelle a scruffy-bearded, eat-anything-I-can-get-my-mouth-on-domesticated farm animal. I'm using the term GOAT as in greatest of all time. 
So listen, Dave. <laughs> Who am I kidding like Dave Chappelle's listening to my lame-ass podcast? But just for shits and giggles. Which, when you think about it and visualize that visual, it's fucking disgusting. Shits and giggles? Who the fuck snickers when they poop? I've burped while farting. I've grunted, groaning, odd when dumping. But I can't ever remember tee-hee-heeing while I'm shish-shish-shitting. Anyway, back to you, Dave. Look, I respect the shit out of you and your work, and I feel for you. Plus, I grew up in the Natty, and I got family living in Dayton, a mere 30 minutes away from your home in Yellow Springs. In fact, my sister-in-law in Dayton used to teach at Yellow Springs High School, so I feel an Ohio Buckeye closeness and connection with you, goat. But Dave, let me point out one thing. See, my family in Dayton ain't as you fondly and comedically refer to some of your fellow Yellow Springsians as dirty, barefooted white folk. See, my brother and sister-in-law, well, they're what you called another group of people on your last Netflix special. They're Space Jews. Now on this Space Jew reference, Dave, I know you caught some flack from some in the Jewish community, but not to the level of the cancel tirade you got from the LGBTQ community. For those of you who haven't heard Dave's special and his reference to Space Jews, Davies makes a joke about the making of a mythical movie called Space Jews, in which Jews come back from an unsuccessful venture into outer space and now want to conquer Earth and take it back. And some might argue this is that old anti-Semitic metaphor that Jews want to rule the world and can be seen in a negative light. But taking a glass-half-full approach, there haven't been a ton of Jewish astronauts. So if Dave wants to get a few of the tribe into outer space, well, Mazel Tov, L'chaim, I'm all for that. And when you think about it, Jews should make great astronauts, as during launch and all the shaking, Jews would feel right at home with all the crazy davening we do in shul. And most Jews would jump the chance to travel to space. Of course, we would require NASA, SpaceX, Blue Origin, or Virgin Galactic spaceships to have a mezuzah mounted on the hatch door for good luck and safety. Look, throughout history, Jews have been quite successful at business, entertainment, medicine, and many other professions, but we haven't succeeded at everything. Not a lot of trips to space and not very good at not getting our asses kicked out of places across the entire fucking planet. Now fortunately, one of the most famous astronomers of all time, Galileo, way back in 1610, well, he discovered a planet, and because he was secretly sleeping with a Jewish mistress, Miriam Pitterman, he named a planet after her, as he knew it would be just a matter of time till another bunch of far-thinking, anti-Semitic douchebags wanted to banish Jews from Earth. And just in case these far-thinking anti-Semitic douchebags followed the Jews into the galaxy, Galileo had the foresight to give Jews the biggest planet if we had to run and hide, as it seems to be our lot in life and death. Yeah, that's right. Jews got their very own planet. Jupiter. A combination of Jew and Pitter. Galileo's nickname for Miriam. And it's pretty easy to see why Galileo did this for Miriam. So let's take a quick look at just a few of the atrocities that were happening to Jews in 1610. In Hamburg, the Senate voted to allow Jews to live in the city on the condition that there was no public worship. In Frankfurt, angry mobs attacked the synagogue and the entire community was forced to leave without any of their property. A few miles away in Gay Paris, Louis XIII decreed that all Jews had to leave in one month or be killed. Amazing how the French could soldier up and kill Jews, but when attacked by other people throughout their history, the French become a bunch of cigarette-smoking, beret-wearing, condescending, rude, pansy-ass pussies. Just up the road in Holland, Prince Maurice of Orange decreed that each city could decide if Jews could live there, and if they did, they'd have to wear orange badges. 
Hey, Maurice, why don't you take your Holland tulips and kiss our two cheeks? Not on our face, but smack dab on our Jewish tochuses. And in Krakow, Poland, Jews were forbidden to sell bagels within the city walls. It's one thing to burn down our synagogues or make us wear a colorful badge, but you outlaw bagels? No locks and bagels? Just locks? Holy shit! If I'd have been living in Poland in 1610 and got wind of the banning of bagels, I'd have booked a window seat right next to Miriam on the first rocket to Jupiter. So back to Dave's space Jew bit. What's the alternative? Getting all bent out of shape over a joke and launching a social media hashtag campaign? Hashtag space Jews? To spread awareness that space Jews is punching down or maybe even punching up at Jews? Let's just take a deep breath here. Take a big sip of Mogan David or Manischewitz wine and remind ourselves how Jews have always strived to overcome obstacles opposed to identifying themselves as victims. So maybe it's not a reference by Dave, but for a Jew to cancel a comedian over a joke, well, that goes against our DNA. Without jokes, humor, laughter, Jews wouldn't have survived for nearly 6,000 years. Plus, who knows the next time some country, dictator, or neo-Nazi group gets a bug up their ass to destroy the Jews? Because I'll bet you dollars to donuts, or more appropriately, shekels to bagels, unless you're living in Krakow in 1610 and you're bagelless, it's going to happen. And when it does, if we got the inside track on colonizing Jupiter, then Dave, I'm all in for space Jews. So, my Jewish brethren, including our new intergalactic spin-off splinter group, Space Jews, please don't cancel Dave Chappelle, as silencing free speech goes against all our Jewish tenets. And let's not cancel Dave, as blacks and Jews have deep, common, persecuted shit upon pasts, so we need each other. We need to listen to each other. We need to share our painful plights. In fact, I got a true story that illustrates our common tortured and oppressed pasts. My dad was born in 1921 and would have been a hundred last year. Rest in peace, Whaler. And my dad went to a public high school in Cincinnati called Hughes High. So at age 15, my dad's in high school, and that would have been around 1936, right around the same time when that little mustachioed fucker did his first Heil Hitler, or as he would have said, Heil me. So when I turned 15 in 1975, some 39 years later, and dad thought I was old enough to appreciate and understand the prejudice blacks and Jews encountered back when he was growing up, he sat me down at our kitchen table one day after work and told me when he was at Hughes, the saying, which he was very uncomfortable telling me, and I'm very uncomfortable repeating, was Hughes, Hughes, niggers and Jews. Bet you weren't expecting that one, and neither the fuck was I. Now, as I said, my dad was super uncomfortable saying the N-word to me, and he and my mom would have killed me or my brothers if we ever said it. Ever. So we never said it then, and we don't say it now. And while I'd never say it, there's one group of people who say it, not because they want to say it, but because they have to say it. I'm talking about actors who play skinheads or rednecks or wealthy slave owners or cops in the Deep South beating the crap out of blacks while protesting in the 1950s. And even though it's only for a part, a role, I just don't know how they do it. I mean, it's got to be uncomfortable as hell. And it's got to suck the first few times you say it as you're going to mess up the take because you're nervous as hell. And as the director yells cut, pulls you over and says, um, So Marty, um, you're just not committing. I'm sensing a little hesitancy. I need you to say the N-word with force and boldness, conviction. Remember, you're the largest plantation slave owner in the South, so act like one for Christ's sake or we're going to be here all goddamn day. 
And the actor's got to be thinking after that little chat, oh, Mr. Director gets to say N-word, and I got to say nigger. Fuck! And if you have the acting chops to get into character, blocking out and overcoming the hesitancy, that's only the first hurdle. How about when you grab a beer after wrapping up for the day with the same black slave portraying actor you've been calling the N-word repeatedly for months throughout the entire film? That's got to be a tad awkward. Can just see Marty sitting with his black co-star and they go back and forth. Yo, man, seems like you're getting pretty comfortable spouting the word nigger. Don't even joke about that, dude. I don't know, Marty. You seems to be enjoying dropping them as you white folks say N-word bombs right and left. But I didn't know any better. I'd say deep down, you're a motherfucking racist. And you can see Marty squirming, shuddering, completely embarrassed when the black actor leans in close and says, Ah, just fucking with you, Marty. You're my nigger, homie. You know, and when I think back to that fateful day sitting at the kitchen table when my dad told me the Hughes slogan story, I didn't follow in his footstep and go to Hughes. I went to a different public high school called Walnut Hills, and our slogan was, Walnut Hills, go Eagles! That cheerful slogan kind of pales in comparison to Hughes, Hughes, N-word, and Jews. So that's what my dad's world was in 1936, over 80 years ago. And you kind of feel we've come away since that little ethnic racist Hughes jingle, but not so fast. See, because back in 1981, a cousin of mine, Louis Luria, or as we called him, Sweet Lou, a son in the long line of great Southern, liberal, democratic, open-minded family of successful businessmen, public servants, and politicians from the Palmetto State of South Carolina who were on the front line supporting equal rights, especially for Southern blacks. Well, Sweet Lou was getting married. And you didn't miss a Southern wedding, as these were epic balls of pomp and circumstance, flowing fountains with whiskey, the best fried chicken on the planet, and beautiful Southern bells who took your carpet-bagging breath away. So our whole family from around the country attends, and I fly in from Chicago, where I'm 21, in my junior year attending Northwestern University. And since our family flew in from across the country, all our flights had layovers in Atlanta. At one point, I'm sitting with my mom, and she's talking to me, and I'm nodding, but I'm not listening a lick, as walking through the airport was one gorgeous woman after another. And these beauties were different from Midwestern girls I was accustomed to, as they were nicely put together in a more formal, made-up, dressed-up kind of way. So while mom's babbling on, my head must have been swiveling like watching a tennis match from center court when she stopped, grabbed my arm and said, Dougie, from the way you're checking out these southern bells, you're going to need a neck brace and I'm pretty certain you're not gay. And just to be clear to the G's of the LGBTQs, mom didn't mean that and I didn't take that in any way as a derogatory comment toward gays. It was simply an observation, a fact, and pretty damn funny coming from my mom. Well, we all got to Columbia, South Carolina, and that night after the rehearsal dinner, as was standard practice, we headed up to the hospitality suite and continued the party. Drinking, smoking, you name it. Now, my dad, who at the time was 60, and remember, his high school slogan was Hughes, Hughes, N-word, and Jews, was a great storyteller, and he starts telling a great story about playing baseball while serving in World War II. At one point, he says something like, oh, man, there were some great players on these teams. There was a great pitcher. He was this big, talented Negro fella. And my dad suddenly stopped because he looked over at Louis's bride-to-be, Dina, and I think my dad saw a younger woman as he read her facial responses. Maybe he shouldn't have used the word Negro. Now, I'm not in any way saying the word Negro is a good word or something you should say. 
But back in my dad's formative years, and even at that point in the early 80s, the term Negro was used rather openly by a lot of people, including some black people. So again, yes, Negro is certainly a negative derogatory term, and one we don't use anymore. But again, at that time, it was used. So my dad, who was the kindest, nicest, sweetest man on the planet, and you could ask anyone about my dad and they'd say the exact same thing, my dad, sensing that he'd offended Sweet Lou's bride, Dina, turns to her and says, Oh, I am so sorry, Dina. I didn't mean to offend you. Well, Dina takes a swig of her eighth or ninth mint julep and says, Oh, don't worry about it, Uncle Bobby. Down here, we still call them niggers. Well, as I hope some of you listening at home who might have been sipping on a cocktail just did, I sprayed an explosive spit take from my mouthful of Jack Daniels across the room and fell off the fucking couch. There's no way anyone, including yours truly, could have expected that response. Not in a million fucking years. But that's what she said ver fucking batum. And here's the really sad thing. While the majority of us in that room were appalled and outraged beyond the spit take and a few shared, can you believe what she just said looks? No one called her out on it. We didn't do it. We turned a blind eye. Wasn't right. Huge mistake. Maybe we were too shocked, or maybe we were trying not to rock the boat, or in this case, the slave ship of a brand new marriage. But times have changed, and that's important, because we need change. We need to evolve. We need to learn. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, if that little blonde Southern Belle racist piece of crap made that comment today, I'd wash her mouth out with ivory soap so white, she'd have thought the KKK manufactured it. Now, just as Southern Bells at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson Airport were a world away from Midwestern girls, the South's long history of discrimination, prejudice, and unequal treatment of blacks was something I wasn't accustomed to. Sure, I'd witnessed an occasional idiot in Cincinnati make an insensitive joke or comment, but I'd never heard anyone blatantly use such offensive language like, Oh, don't worry, Uncle Bobby. Down here we still call him the N-word. Especially by a petite little blonde girl. And I'm in no way condoning such behavior, but let's face it, it was the South, and it was South Carolina, home of the University of South Carolina, whose mascot is a red and black rooster bred and trained for cockfighting called a gamecock. Kinda made my Northwestern wildcat mascot seem a little tame. And on another of my Palmetto State visits, my Uncle Mick took me to a South Carolina football game. Walking up to the stadium, oh my God, there were all these beautiful co-ed sorority girls wearing the shortest of short Daisy Dukes, and written on the back of these short shorts was, I love my cocks. Look, I'm a big sporting goods store guy, and I love dicks, but I wouldn't walk around in boxers with the word, I love dicks on them. Guess this brings to light that I'm more of a questioning cue than a queer cue. Now, if you've never been to a college football game in the South, you're missing out. Because these fans, young and old, stand the entire game in a religious-like revivalist meeting. And they chant from the opening kickoff to the final gun. And in South Carolina, they use a real fucking gun. And the chant they do at williams Bryce Stadium goes like this. On one side of the field, they chant, GAME! And on the other side of the field, they yell, COX! Now, fortunately, I was on the GAME side, because, man, those fans on the COX side got to say COX for the better part of three long hours. And while I love my cock, and as the USC coeds clearly love their cocks, I don't really want to be yelling the word COCK for three fucking hours. Now, I got one more example of just how different the South is to where I live. 
Let's go to the year 1991 and the first Gulf War waged under George Herbert Walker Bush. I'm living in San Francisco at the time, and as soon as we got wind of all this bullshit and all this war crap, over 100,000 people from all walks of life marched up Market Street carrying out acts of civil disobedience like blocking the federal building or shutting down the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, right during that time, damn if there wasn't another family event in Columbia, South Carolina, this time my cousin Adam's Bar Mitzvah. So as always, off we trekked across country through Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, where this time I came prepared with my very own neck brace, eventually arriving at our destination, the deep south of South Carolina. So, we're in the synagogue for the Bar Mitzvah, and I'm sitting by my cuz, Sweet Lou, who, thank the Lord, divorced discriminatory Dina and her N-word antics. And we started talking about the Gulf War. I told him out in San Francisco, hundreds of thousands of people were protesting, marching, fighting the good fight, and it was so cool to see all these people on a mini Vietnam mission to stop the war. I paused and asked Sweet Lou, how's it going down here? He closed his prayer book, straightened his yarmulk, and said, Well, Cousin Duggar, the other day, some hippie ass ran out to the Capitol alone and tried to burn the flag, and a proud bunch of patriots kicked the living shit out of them. If ever there was a time to invoke the line, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Well, that was certainly it. So, Dave, I hope you can see that it's important and meaningful for me as a Jew, as a comedian, as a fellow Ohioan, to help you come up with a way to keep talking about important issues like cancel culture and communities that feel punched down upon like the LGBTQs. I see your genuine concern for marginalized groups, and I see the important roles comedians play in having the freedom and ability to speak their mind, not at the expense of people but as a way to find humor in all our human frailties and weaknesses. We can't shy away from and let the pressure take away your voice or any voice, any voice ever. So I respectfully disagree with your end of special comment that you're done talking about the topic. No, this is an important conversation and you of all people got to keep the discourse going. So what if we try this? Rebrand yourself and go from the GOAT the greatest of all time, to the goat, the gayest of all time, and now you're part of the letter team. Well, just a thought from a space Jew trying to help a Yellow Springs brother out, Dave. Hopefully my discussion of the sensitive topic of cancel culture and coming to your defense can be seen for what it is, humorous social commentary. But who the hell knows anymore is based upon my allegiance to you and my defense of your right to find humor in today's cancel culture, there's a hell of a good chance the vocal and powerful LGBTQUXYZs will cancel me too. And I don't mean me too like the movement, I mean me also. Ah, oh, fuck, now I've gone and pissed off a whole fucking movement and what's likely to follow. I, along with you, Dave, could have Berg's brain and its massive global audience of 37 loyal listeners, including two international listeners in Germany and France, banished from every podcast platform faster than covert expert Joe Rogan. And Dave, I want to go back for a sec to one of the founding members of the LGBTQ group, the Bees. See, growing up in the 60s and 70s in Cincinnati with two older brothers in college at Ohio State, I was aware of Vietnam, the fight for equality, black power, feminism, and a lot of generational changing important as hell issues. At that time, the term LGBTQ didn't exist. The only term you heard to describe a gay person was homosexual. And the word homosexual took on a negative connotation, so the term gay became popular in the 70s. 
And while I'm sure I knew people who were gay at that time, it wasn't until many years later I found out, because unfortunately at that time, tons of gay people were still in the closet, many trying on their moms or wives' high heels and gowns. So the first sexual description and letter of the LGBTQ community that anyone at that time was aware of was the B, as in bi or bisexual. And when I was growing up, B was kind of crazy. A friend of yours claimed to like men and women, J.H.C., Jesus H. Christ. Bye? That was huge, outlandish, kinky, and kind of intriguing. Oh, but how times have changed. Now, with so many sexual orientations, the B is kind of V as in vanilla. Doesn't seem to have the same cachet or wow factor as the T, for example, or so many of the newer, more recent list of letters describing gender and sexuality. Now, to be crystal clear here, I'm not denigrating the Bs in any way. And I'm not saying the bee needs to be retired like one of those massive destructive hurricanes. To me, the bees are on the Mount Rushmore of sexual identity and gender descriptive letters. But it just feels a bit passe when you consider all these new letters. And in terms of the newer letters, Dave, gotta warn you that if you do change your mind and begin discussing the LGBTQs and cancel culture again, you should know that LGBTQ, even without angry marginalized hurricane letters Q, U, X, Y, and Z, is a fast-growing group. Hell, it's expanding faster than the waist of my spandex pants after typically overindulgent Thanksgiving dinner. Because Dave, you might think that's the complete list, but not even close. Here's just a few of the new letter add-ons to LGBTQ. There's the letter I, which stands for intersex. Intersex is a term for someone born with biological characteristics that aren't traditionally associated with male or female bodies, kind of like you're at a crossroads, an intersection, so to speak. Then you got the letter A, which has two meanings, asexual or ally. The A for ally is super cool. You're there to support and assist any member of the letter community. Beautiful, worthy, we all should be that kind of A. Now the other kind of A is for asexual, and again, not knocking anyone who is that type of A. If that's how you identify to go through life, more power to you. I'm an A ally, so I support your asexuality to the hilt. It's just that, man, that's sad. And just to be frank here, a group I'd never be a part of. I mean, if I was going to be a letter, I'd be an S, as in sexual, or a subgroup of the S, VFS, very fucking sexual. If I was asexual, fucking A. Although that's probably the last thing you'd want happening to you if you're an asexual A. Next, you got the letter P for pansexual. No, not someone with a Peter Pan or cooking fetish. P is someone who's attracted to people of all gender identities. And we used to think the Bs had the best of both worlds and had the most options to choose from. The Ps have blown by the Bs big time. Then there's D for demisexual. No, not a person with the hots for Demi Moore, but someone who generally doesn't experience sexual attraction unless they formed a strong emotional connection with someone. So in the old pre-letter days, D's sound a lot like the W's, as in women, which is beautiful. They want love, romance, conversation, cuddling, which is the opposite and not the strong suit of the M's. You know, males, men, morons, meatheads. Next on the update letter list is the letter G for gray sexual. No, not someone into kinky octogenarian sex, but rather someone who occasionally experiences sexual attraction, but usually doesn't. Gee whiz! No, that's not a kinky subgroup of the G's in the Golden Shower. I mean, gee whiz in that, that's just unimaginable to me. Again, not knocking anyone who is, because I'm an A ally. 
Just know that even when the hair on my head and the hair on my balls turns gray, I'm still going to experience sexual attraction. So one less member getting added to the G's. The letter C is for cisgender, someone whose gender identity matches the sex they were assigned at birth. Hmm, do we really need a letter for that? There are people out there that were born a guy and identify as being a guy or born a woman and identify as being a woman, and they need a letter? Doesn't that sound a tad redundant and unnecessary? It's kind of like how a few letters have multiple meanings. You know, the Q for queer or questioning, the A for ally or asexual. Seems like the C is for cisgender or, come on, man, really? Then you start getting into multiple letter categories. You got GNC. No, not the high-end vitamin supplement store. GNC is in gender non-conforming, or someone who expresses gender outside traditional norms associated with masculinity or femininity. For instance, in American culture, a man might show emotion and tenderness. A woman might wear a suit on her wedding day instead of a dress. A man might shave his armpits. A woman might be more assertive. So not really a man, not really a woman. You know, kind of like Mr. Spock, a Vulcan, a man of two different worlds. And I'm sure it's no surprise to all you Trekkies listening out there that Mr. Spock was emotionless like a man and shaved his pits like a woman. And with all the increased awareness of gender identity nowadays, the Hollywood rumor mills all abuzz with the hope Spock may come back again from the dead as a hologram and play the lead in the next installment, Star Trek GNC. Then there's the letters NB, which stands for non-binary. A person who identifies as neither male nor female and sees themselves outside the gender binary. I never thought of sexuality as binary or non-binary. I associate binary with computer programming, where all numbers are either a zero or a one. And look, in terms of non-binary sexuality, no one's a zero, but you're not the one for me. And the list continues with GQ. No, not the men's fashion magazine, GQ as in gender queer. An umbrella term catch-all describing someone who's a combination of genders, neither man nor woman, blurring the line between their gender identity. You know how some women have mustaches and some men are pussies. Now, you'd think that would be the last of the G's, but no, there's another G, and this one's called GF. No, not girlfriend, but gender fluid, a term used by people whose identity shifts or fluctuates, moving between genders. When I first heard the term gender fluid, I assumed it referred to the fact that each gender has its own fluid. Men have this spermy, spunky, copious fluid, and women have this mucousy, lubricating, slippery fluid. And maybe it's just the letter S straight guy in me, because while I find a woman's fluidity very sexy, a man's discharge disgusting. The odd thing is, most straight men at one time or another have tasted their own cum. Oh yeah! Come on guys, fess up! See, eating your own cum, well, it starts out as an interesting, intriguing, taboo kind of thing. You're rubbing one out, a little pre-cum forms like a tear dripping from a sad, one-eyed monster, and as you deftly scoop up a tiny dollop, you rub it around your fingers, noting that slimy consistency, and hesitantly, yet excitedly, bring your fingers to your nose and sniff the slick goo. Surprisingly, it doesn't have much of a smell for those of us men that eat relatively healthy and avoid asparagus, dairy products, or a Starbucks 31-ounce Trenta. So you tentatively taste it. Hmm, not bad. And it doesn't taste like chicken. So based upon the testy taste test, and for a slight moment just before you come, you know the honeymoon phase where you still haven't shot your load yet you're riding that sexual high? 
you contemplate the kinky notion of scooping it up after coming and swallowing every spermy, spunky, copious, gelatinous drop. But in faster than a nanosecond or whatever the fastest time measurement there is, you go from eager excitement to disgust, disdain, and a Judeo-Christian level of guilt that's off the charts. You literally question your sanity and wonder how you ever thought eating your own cum was a good idea. So after this guilt-ridden disgust sinks in, you quickly grab a towel or a sock or a chamois and wipe the vile spooge off your dick, balls, ass, hands, legs, stomach, chest, face, and whatever body parts got hit by the sinister spray depending on your position of your whack-off sesh, the angle of your dick, and the force of your orgasm. Now here's the really weird thing and such an eye-opening indictment about men and their out-of-control sex drives. See, because even as gut-wrenchingly disgusting as your experience was a few days ago entertaining the fantasy of tasting your own juices... A day or two goes by, and you contemplate eating your cum again. I told this story on stage a while back, and I asked the audience how many guys wanted to or tried to eat their own spunk. I wasn't expecting anyone to raise their hand, but one brutally honest guy did. Hey, whack job, you weren't supposed to answer in public at a comedy show. It was a rhetorical question of sorts. But I felt so bad for the guy, hell, I didn't even make fun of him. He was just too close to home. Plus, I thought he'd endured enough embarrassment when all the people at his table, including what I later found out to be his girlfriend and her parents, got up and left the poor schmuck alone, basically, with his hand in his pants. So coming back, no pun intended, to GF, gender fluids. These individuals may identify or express themselves as more masculine on some days and more feminine on others. Now here's a group I may fit into. See, because on some days, I stand when I pee. Other days, I sit. No rhyme or reason. Just feel right on that day for my gender fluids to flow from different angles. Moving on, you've got GN, gender neutral. Someone who prefers not to be described by a specific gender, but prefers to be called they. Hold on a sec. You're one person singular, and you want to be called the plural they? Look, I'd love to do that as an A ally. I support that request. But my mom was an English teacher, and there's just no way I can call one person they and look her in the face come Thanksgiving as my pants waist forcefully expands. Now this next one's a doozy. M-A-A-B slash F-A-A-B slash U-A-A-B, meaning male assigned at birth, female assigned at birth, unassigned at birth. That's got to be traumatic as shit to be unassigned at birth. Can you imagine that kid? Uh, so it's okay to slap me on my ass seconds out of mom's womb, but here we are two days later and you guys are dilly-dallying about what sex I am? I realize my newborn eyesight's about 2400 and I won't be able to see well for another few months, but you guys can see, right? So do you see a penis or a vagina or are there other choices I'm unaware of? Being unassigned? That's kind of like when you go to a modern art museum and see paintings that are untitled. Hey, Jackson Pollock, someone's paying $11 million for the Rorschach inkblot splatter you made while drunk off your beatnik ass? Title the damn painting. And don't you just love these modern artists who don't stop with one Brayton farting painting they can't title? Sometimes you walk through an entire gallery and see paintings called Untitled Number 7. Hey, Rauschenberg, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on Untitled. But 7? Maybe you ought to put your paintbrush down, smoke a doobie, and come out with a goddamn name. One thing's for sure. No modern abstract artist would ever be a member of the Hurricane Committee. Because if you struggle naming a painting, no fucking way we're putting you in charge of naming a hurricane. Can you imagine if one of these artistes got into whammo? Uh, hey, Pollock, over there. Haven't heard from you in a while. 
What are you thinking for the next storm name? Untitled? Uh, two things, Jackson. First, Untitled isn't a name. Second, pretty certain in your training we reviewed the 21 permitted hurricane naming letters. Remember how we said the U wasn't one of them? God, I fucking hate modern art. And there's another Untitled-like situation, which makes no sense. You know when you see an ad for a new movie that's coming out, and at the end of the commercial, the voiceover says, This film is not yet rated. The movie's made it all the way to the ad on TV. The movie's coming out in a week, and it's not been rated yet? Then maybe you shouldn't be allowed to run the ad till it is, douchebag. And last but not least, we go beyond the letters of the alphabet to describe our sexuality and bring in arithmetic and the plus symbol. Yeah, the plus sign, which isn't just a mathematical symbol anymore, but a denotation of everything on the gender and sexuality spectrum that letters and words can't yet describe. And with all the gender and sexuality possibilities, gotta believe one plus one equals fuck if I know, and you could bet your sweet ass Stephen Hawking, Albert Einstein, and that Pythagoras dude wouldn't have a clue either. Christ, talk about new fucking math. Now, I realize we've taken a massive detour and got blown way off track. So let's get back to the naming of hurricanes and the protocol of retiring the names of massively destructive and devastating storms. Since the formal start of naming during the 1947 Atlantic hurricane season, an average of one Atlantic storm has been retired each year. See, the name of any tropical storm can be retired or withdrawn from the list of the names if the storm acquires notoriety due to the number of deaths, amount of damages, or other impacts. And this name retirement is discussed and voted on at the annual session of the Hurricane Committee in the spring of the following year. Boy, I bet that annual three-day session's a real hoot. Here's last year's enthralling agenda. Day 1, review of the past hurricane season and lessons learned. Day 2, review of the past hurricane season and lessons learned. Okay, two full days on the same exciting and seat-of-your-pants topic. Let's just hope that while the committee members are discussing hurricanes and lessons learned, they're sucking down those famous Bourbon Street hurricanes to keep from falling asleep. Now, day three does a complete 180 and is all about committee member bonding through a relaxing day with choices of various activities, including a round of golf, except this one aligns with the committee's focus and is held during a full-blown lightning storm. If getting hit by lightning while golfing's not your cup of tea, sign up for a thrill ride in a piece-of-shit beater storm-chasing van with hurricane hustlers and meth heads Earl and Shirley Porterhouse. Or take a class taught by Weather Channel reporter Mike Betts of the Weather Underground Show, which is an odd name for a weather show as not a ton of weather happens underground. Who's watching this guy's show? Mud wasps and cicadas? And isn't it rather odd that the phrase describing a time when you're not feeling great is being under the weather? Maybe I'm missing something, but aren't we all under the weather all the time? It's not a lot of weather happens on the ground below us. Now, in terms of the deadliest storm to have its name retired, well, that was good old Hurricane Mitch, which caused over 10,000 fatalities when it struck Central America during October of 98. And I guess it was just the luck of the draw and Mitch's turn in the hurricane naming list under the letter M. But you'd think the Hurricane Committee and WAMO would have had enough foresight to include only powerful-sounding names on the list, just in case a particular storm-packed enough punch to be catastrophic and worthy of retirement. Because, frankly, Hurricane Mitch doesn't instill fear. Mitch is the name of your third-grade buddy with glasses and braces. Mitch is the name of your wife's book club friend who you never have to worry about she's having an affair with. Mitch is the name of your insurance agent or your dentist. At least use the full name Mitchell which, while not fear-instilling, at least has formality and adultness to it. How can you take the risk that Mitch is going to be that bruiser of a storm that might lead to name retirement? 
you get to the letter M, you got to go with a name more along the lines of Mike, Maximus, or Mohammed, not Mitch. And when these megastorms, again, that's mega, not maga, get permanently removed from the naming rotation by the committee, do they hold any type of ceremony? I mean, when a great basketball player unties the sneakers for the last time, they retire his or her jerseys and hang it from the rafters. Yankee greats get statues out behind center field. What do they do for hurricanes? Engrave the storm name on a plaque and hang it inside a man-made wind tunnel at the Whammo headquarters? Not a date, the name Lou hasn't yet been retired for a hurricane. But what if it was someday? Would Hurricane Lou give a Yankee great Lou Gehrig-type tribute speech and say, Today, 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 I consider myself, 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 the luckiest Category 444 storm on the face of the earth. And being that less than 100 storm names have been retired since the naming convention started in the late 40s, these retired storm names are part of an elite, select club, kind of like the Sports Hall of Fames. Gotta believe all the retired Hurricanes like Hugo, Harvey, Katrina, Sandy, and our boy Mitch swirl around together giving shit to the other Hurricanes whose names aren't retired. Can't you just see ringleader Mitch razzing? Oh, it's just a shame you didn't make landfall. No real flooding to speak of. No major power outages. And oh, everybody lived. No one died. Don't beat yourself up about it. Let it go, kid. Not everyone makes it to the show, let alone gets its name retired. And it's got to be really frustrating for would-be hurricanes that had potential but never quite met the minimum wind speed of 74 miles per hour. Nice try, Wally, but at 73 MPH, you're a tropical storm level at best. And imagine the horror if you thought you were going to be a hurricane, and then you got downgraded, which has to be the worst word a hurricane can hear. I mean, what if you got downgraded to a tropical depression with maximum sustained surface winds of a mere 38 miles per hour? Hell, I'd be depressed too if I couldn't cause enough damage to get hurricane status. And you know there's tons of near-miss depressed hurricanes sitting around popping Zoloft and Prozac like chicklets bad-mouthing all the retired names. Shit, and it doesn't end there. You know some of these brutes that have name retirement written all over them at the outset end up as a disappointing tropical disturbance with winds less than 20 knots. Hell, Don Knotts had more knots than that. And can't you just hear the would-be hurricane's emotional plea to the hurricane committee upon the realization, the epiphany, the tragedy of not making it to hurricane status? Kind of like Marlon Brando's character Terry Malloy when speaking to his older brother Charlie in the backseat of a car in that classic film On the Waterfront. You don't understand, committee. I could have had respect. I could have wreaked havoc. I could have brought in FEMA. I could have been a contender for name retirement. I could have been somebody. I could have been the next Katrina, the next Sandy, the next Mitch instead of a high-wind advisory bum, which is what I am. Look at me now, committee. I'm a rain shower, drizzle, light mist, thick fog, and no good capital L low loser bearing down on Palookaville, where people won't even need an umbrella or a goddamn windbreaker. You say I'm not a big enough storm? I could have taken the whole Gulf Coast and the Caribbean. So it's not me. It was you, committee. It was you. You know, and speaking of retirement, remember back in the day, the go-to retirement gift was the gold watch? That was the gift to send you off to begin the rest of your life of rest and relaxation. Which on its face seems kind of cool. Except now that you're retired, you got nothing to do, nowhere to be. Time's irrelevant. But now you got this gigantic gold handcuff on your wrist letting you know the exact time, all the damn time. 
You wake up, look at your watch. It's eight o'clock and you think, okay, great. Now I got exactly 12 hours of nothing to do till I go to sleep again. Maybe they ought to give you the gold watch the day they hire you. That way you got no excuses for being late. And I'll tell you when the gold watch retirement gift really sucks. When you spent your entire career working for a watch manufacturer. Well, congratulations, Ed, on 47 great years designing watches at Timex. And as a little parting gift for all your hard work, here's another gold watch like the 17 others you've gotten along the way. And back to the hurricane committee and naming of hurricanes. wonder how a person gets selected. What's the interview process like? Can you see some hotshot weather guy sitting nervously before the panel of Whammo boys when Chairman Harold Ball asks, uh, So, Arthur, I see here that you're interested in joining the Hurricane Committee. Says here you've been in the weather game for the last 27 years and you're a member in good standing of the Mensa Meteorologist Club. That's good. Uh, we've watched many of your weather forecasts on the local news and you've done a hell of a job creating overblown excitement and fear in the public laying out the potential for devastating storms when they only get a little drop of rain. Nice work. And looking at the numbers, looks like your prediction accuracy rate is, uh, well, well below 50%, so well done. So that checks most of the boxes. Uh, but the key question we have for you today, Arthur, is have you ever named anything? And Arthur, having done his research and gotten tips from a close friend inside Whammo, answers, uh, Well, sir, as you can see, I started with my own name, Arthur, making sure my parents chose a name with the letter A. And ever since then, I've done a lot of naming in my life. And I have a very detailed, specific protocol on how I name things. For instance, got a couple pets, and to keep them well organized, name my dog Barney, and then name my cockatoo Candy. After I got hitched to my lovely bride, Darlene, we had two lovely children, my daughter, Elaine, and my son, Frank. See, I think it's very important to name things alphabetically, A, B, C, and so on. Now, I don't think everyone does it that way, but that's how I do it. Well, I must say, that's impressive, Arthur, and that closely aligns with naming strategy here at the committee. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Oh, yeah. The last point I'd like to make with respect to naming is that while there are 26 letters in the English alphabet, not a big fan of the five kind of oddball out-of-place letters, you know, Q, U, X, Y, and Z. If I had my way, I'd petition USAA, no, not the insurance company for veterans only, but the United States Alphabet Association, and, well, officially retire those letters. To which Harold, a.k.a. Harry Ball, retorts, Gentlemen, Meet our newest member of Whammo. Welcome aboard, Arthur. So let me wrap up this episode of Berg's Brain and get back to the G-O-A-T goat, Dave Chappelle. Dave only seems fitting that after all these years of blowing and blustering intensely funny and thought-provoking stories across thousands of comedy club stages, Dave, you know what? They ought to name a hurricane after you, Hurricane Dave. And you can bet Hurricane Dave's going to be a badass storm that fucks shit up big time and gets retired. Well, now hold on a second here, because Dave, if memory serves, didn't you already retire once back in 2005 at the ripe old age of 32? So in essence, you retired yourself without a full committee vote. Always bucking the system, ain't you, Dave? And then you took it one step further. It's like every boxer, MMA, or UFC fighter... You came out of retirement in 2014. Always the trendsetter, the cutting-edge comic. Well, 
Now that the goat's paved the way, maybe good old Hurricane Mitch can unretire, get back in the game, wreak some havoc, and get a second hurricane named after his non-threatening, non-fear-instilling accountant-named ass. And before I go, one last riff about names, alphabet letters, and retirement. See, there's one letter in the group of 26, the letter N, that by itself is generic, uneventful, bland, middle-of-the-road smack-dab in the middle of the 26. But as happens with the letter Q, that's joined at the hip with the letter U, and the Q always followed by the U combo rule, when you combine the letter N with the word word and say the word N-word, as in really saying the N-word, you know, the word that starts with N and ends with er, well, that's a word that seriously needs retiring. Unless the person saying it is black or a rapper or the occasional Caucasian fellow that makes it into the inner circle and has the blessing of his or her fellow African-Americans to use the N-word, you know, like Chappelle Show collaborator Neil Brennan or Dennis Hopper in True Romance. But if you ain't got that approval, well, you racist bastards ought to be retired, too. Or at least for the time being, while it's uninhabited by space Jews, have your redneck asses jettisoned to Jupiter but only on the condition you black-hating anti-Semite bigots promise not to chase, hunt down, round up, or make us Jews wear orange, yellow, or any color-identifying badges while you're there. Ah, fuck, who am I kidding? No matter what you skinheads say, you're going to call black people niggers and you're going to shit on Jews as soon as you land on Jupiter's rocky surface in your souped-up, picked-up, truck, NRA-stickered, Budweiser-sponsored Jupiter jalopies. So I got a better idea. Let's reroute all your Jim Crow KKK Nazi asses to a far more fitting planet for racist assholes. Uranus. Or maybe we ramp up the irony and shoot you Aryan astronauts into orbit, where you land smack dab in the middle of a black hole. Or as some may prefer to have it called, an African-American hole. And lastly, I have a request, a plea, an ask. Can we all just come together? or at least try to come together so we're more inclusive, more accepting, more welcoming, which we really need right now so badly in America and across the globe. Let's stop fighting, stop warring, stop marginalizing, stop canceling. And as a starting point, a symbol, an olive branch for inclusiveness and acceptance, oh, great hurricane committee and whammo leaders, open your hearts, open your minds, open your creativity, Open the latest edition of the big book of baby names, for God's sake, and expand the present limited exclusive 21-letter hurricane naming alphabet to include the letters Q, U, X, Y, and Z, so no letter is left behind. Because if you meteorologist weather geeks do that, there's a hell of a chance you'll go down as goats, too. Well, thanks for listening to Berg's Brain, and I hope you enjoyed the ride. With this ride, one of the bumpiest and most precarious yet, that's for sure. I hope I was able to successfully navigate the muddy waters between humor and sadness, acceptance and racism, inclusion and exclusion, in a way that didn't offend, didn't marginalize, but rather it extolled and paid tribute to all people of all walks of life. If you feel I hit or missed the mark, I'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to me at bergsbrainpod at gmail.com. As always, special thanks to my close friend, musical director, guitar legend, and head meteorologist, Jeff Peapod Meshuggah Miller. Thanks to the incredibly talented Berg's Brain graphic designer, Claire Skippelrort. And if you like Berg's Brain, please subscribe and share it with your friends and check out our website at bergsbrain.buzzsprout.com. Peapod, how about playing us away on your new number one hit single along the entire Gulf Coast? Insane, profane, inhumane, hurricane. Blow us away, Peapod. Peapod. <laughs>